Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for a movie deep dive with actor-comedian Mike Pusateri. Mike, how are you? Doing well. Uh, try not to inhale any, any, any smoke from Canada at the moment. Yeah. We send them acid rain. They send us hockey players and smoke. It's a pretty good trade. Yeah, and maple syrup. I, I like their maple syrup. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as we're recording this, we are uh, the... Fourth of July is uh, what a week a week away, and we got all patriotic. And uh, so the movie we are going to uh, talk about today is uh, a musical. That's a first for us. Fifty years old, fifty-one, I guess now. Seventeen seventy-six. Uh, it's a, a movie where uh, the voice from Knight Rider and the coach of the Carver High School basketball team team up uh, to fight off some aliens and Will Smith. No, that's not right. That's that's not quite it. Yeah, but anyway, uh, yeah. There's this is a musical that has people in it that you would actually recognize and be like, "Holy shit, that guy was in a musical!" <laughs> yeah. By the way, leave it to us to to pick a musical on the Revolutionary War and and to pick 1776, not Hamilton. Yeah, that's right. Um. Well, did you know that when this, that this, when it was a play musical, still a musical, but when it was in its original run, seventeen seventy six was in the Richard Rogers Theater in New York, which is where Hamilton still is. Yes, a lot so of connections. If you write a patriotic musical, you have to have it in the Richard Rogers Theater. Yeah, evidently, yes, yes, you do. 
Um, so I was just asking you before we came out because I didn't bother to look it up. Uh, who wrote and directed this thing? So uh, it was the it was written by a guy named Sherman Edwards, and I was wondering if he was related to Blake Edwards, but it does not seem that. Or he is was. he related to Sherman Douglas? He may have been related Former to Sherman Syracuse Douglas. point guard. <laughs> yes, right. Um, Sherman Helmsley. Sherman Helmsley. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> James Buddha Edwards and yeah. Sherman Douglas put together a musical in their spare time. Right. And basically, as the story goes, everyone he pitched this musical to on Broadway essentially threw him out of the room. <laughs> no one wanted to make this thing. Um, they, for a number of reasons, but one of them was they, you know, figured like, well, who's this guy to be writing a, a, a musical about this topic? But evidently, he he did some. He substitute taught in his. I don't know if it's his son's school or somebody's school for a few days. He substitute taught history, so the so they the producers of the show said, "Oh, we can bill him as an ex history teacher." Wrote this wrote this play about that's that's very similar to why the Cubs called up Bobby Scales. <laughs> What's that story? Hey, we called up a substitute teacher. Uh, they, oh, okay, everybody, come go. come see the substitute teacher play for the Cubs. They didn't have a lot going on in those days, so Bobby Scales was the yeah the best they could do. Unlike unlike today. Actually, I didn't want to tell you. We have a special guest, Bobby Scales, is going to come hey, in and talk. Hey, Bobby Scales. But you don't want to you don't want to do it now. You drove all the way in from Iowa. <laughs> no, could you take Nick Madrigal back with you? No, yeah. he won't fit. It what? What are you driving? Fine. All right, Bobby's how about, out. How about a T-shirt, Bobby? Use code Discipio at Obvious Shirts. You know, get yourself a get yourself a twenty percent off. Uh, so. This was a this was a play, and then they decided to turn it into a movie. Yes, uh, yes. And they which is, can always be a dicey proposition. You know, there was like an, a Hollywood time for that. You, you know, where that was done a lot. My Fair Lady, Camelot, um, lots of movies. Serpico. That was kind of formula. Serpico was a great movie. <laughs> Who knew Al Pacino could <laughs> sing? Uh, Serpico! And uh, this was kind of the end of that kind of era. Paint Your Wagon was another was another kind of uh, musical that ended up flopping. There were a lot of flops, uh, these films, including 1776, which was kind of a box office flop, too. I'm a big fan of musicals. I, I just don't like the singing and dancing. That's kind of my feeling, yeah. One of the reasons I like this this musical so much is... It's evidently this is the the, the musical. It had, there, this is the longest time that a musical goes without any songs or music mm. in it. So that appealed to me quite a bit. I would say I like the fact that they don't. There's really no exposition in the songs. Yeah, you know, it doesn't try to do double. It's not dial. It's not like dialogue that you have to pay attention to for the. Like you could literally tune out the the songs. And you still could follow the entire play because they're that's what's great. They're yeah. singing about a theme. They're not imparting um, important plot information while dancing around like a bunch of dandies and um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, the, some of the songs are pretty catchy. They are, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah. To your point, the opening number is, is called "Sit Down, John." Sit down, John. Sit down. 
God's sake, listen to me. Will you listen to me and forget the window? And he just kind of repeat that uh, for a few minutes, and it's just about telling Adams. We and all, you get the point. Okay, he's obnoxious and disliked. We got it. Yes. Everybody's tired of hearing him speak about this topic. So. Um... The musical opens in a bell tower with John Adams looking out over Philadelphia. And uh, the Liberty Bell, as we will come to know it as the Liberty Bell, is up there and is not yet cracked. Yes. There's no crack in the Liberty Bell. Um, apparently, that's the first bullshit in the, in the movie. The, uh, in 1776, the, they said the bell tower in what became Independence Hall... Uh, was not uh, built strongly enough to hold the Liberty Bell. The Liberty Bell most likely would have still been on the first floor, not being rung. Mm. So, but it's a good plot device. Let you know right away you're in Philadelphia, and well, they're going to say it a thousand times yeah. in the movie anyway. Yeah. But it, it lets you know. From what I understand, a lot of the the movie is factual, but there's a lot of creative license, yeah. obviously. So, like, yeah, the Liberty Bill existed. It was there, but probably wasn't yes. in the spot where they show it on, on the on, in the film. Uh, so he's up there. He's all he's he's looking out over the city. You can tell he's a little frustrated. Although William Daniels kind of always has that expression. Yeah. And uh, Andrew McNair, the congressional custodian, comes up to summon him because he got a very important taking important vote that they cannot decide without Massachusetts input. <laughs> and that is. Whether to grant General Washington's request that all members of the Rhode Island militia be required to wear matching uniforms. Oh, good God. So, see, John storms down the stairs, and then uh, I've always liked this line. I have come to the conclusion that one useless man is called a disgrace, that two are called a law firm, and that three or more become a congress. Yes, become a Congress. And uh, that's where they start. Sit down, John. Which yes. is most. It's a good. It's a good first song because it. Uh, you get to see everybody. I mean, we don't know exactly who everybody is yet. Yep. But establishes right away that they all think John Adams is a pain in the ass. Yeah. The song even ends up. Will someone shut that man up? And he just yells, "Never, never." Yes. And then uh, we learn about uh, then he and Abigail start to have a conversation. Yeah. So that's what happens next, right? Well, he goes out on the street and then they, he sings uh, Piddle, Twiddle, and Resolve. Ah. Which has a lot of Sit Down John theme to it. In fact, the, some of the melody is even the same. And it's some of it gets repeated. They, somebody tells him to sit down. But yeah, that's the first... Um, so they do this device where he's talking to uh, his wife, who's in Braintree, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, they, they, you could tell that they're going to use the... It's kind of like in uh, The Last Jedi, 
when Ray and Kylo can talk to each other through the Force. That's what they're doing here. He's using the Force to talk to his wife. And the reason we know he's using the Force is they smear Vaseline all over the lens. That was a so technique, it's yeah. blurry, and you can't tell. <laughs> like, every scene Sybil Shepard was in in Moonlighting, they used the same Vaseline. Um, and so this, the, so there's a conversation between him and his wife, which they took lots of the dialogue directly from actual letters from between John and Abigail. Right. Uh, but the big thing they want you to know in this scene is um, she wants him to come home because Congress isn't doing anything. Yep. Everybody in the house has the shits. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the kids is turning blue for some reason. Don't know why yep. that, but she mentions that. Sounds good. Uh, so actually, they all have dysentery. Uh, and then he wants her to get the ladies in brain, greater Braintree area to make saltpeter so they can make more gunpowder. And her complaint is, you, you didn't tell us how to make saltpeter. Yeah. So he rattles off the ingredients, and apparently the one he left out is uh, saltpeter uh, needs either bat or bird shit in it. Cool. Yes. Okay. <laughs> he left that. He left that part out. Left that out of the, uh, the play. And she tells him, "Like, come home. It's three hundred miles. It'll only take you eight days." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of lines like this where you know, because this originally is appearing before a New York audience in 1969 and runs for three years. So you can imagine there was a lot of laughs, you know, like when they start talking about the New York delegation, Mm -hmm. a lot of things that would have resonated with uh, the, the theater going audience at that time. Um, so he wants her to make saltpeter. She wants pins. Ladies don't seem like an equal trade. Ladies don't have enough pins. Well, according to the extensive research I did, yeah. Uh, Pins in that era, they had not invented electroplating yet. So pins were very brittle. And they need them for lots of shit. And because you need them for lots of shit, you broke a lot of them. And if you didn't have them, you couldn't sew. And they sewed all kinds of stuff. I mean, they sewed clothes they wore. They sewed bags. They sewed all kinds of stuff. And they had a pin shortage. So he needed to find pins, and she needed to find some bat shit so she could make um, saltpeter. Saltpeter. Um... In one of the when in one of the scenes where they show the um, and it comes up a lot where they show Independence Hall, you see uh, you see the white shadow as Thomas Jefferson, Ken Howard. Um, he's like sitting in a window and he's like he's sticking his finger out the window. He's licking his finger and sticking it out the window. He's going to yeah. give the weather reports, and the weather is a huge part of how hot it is. Yes. Um, and it is true, he kept hourly logs of the temperature and daily logs of, like, the barometer and the wind speed and stuff. And on, how hot do you think it was in Philadelphia on July 4th, 1776? This is a whole thing. You know, it's too damn hot in here. They can't open the windows because the flies are going to get in. <laughs> how hot do you think it was that they were suffering? Well, I'll say this. They make it seem like it's like it's 102. Yep. It was 76 degrees. <laughs> Now I know yeah. they're dressed. They for some yeah. reason they feel they need to dress head to toe in wool, right? Which and doesn't seem like w- the smart. Where's how about something that breathes? On. A little right. cotton. You know, if George Costanza was in charge of the costumes, they'd have cotton on. They'd be, all be super comfortable. They'd be exactly right, and they'd all they'd all have. Who chairs. is who is the assistant to the traveling secretary of the Continental <laughs> Congress? It's, it's, it's they're not doing Peter. their job. 
Yeah, and they they got these dumb wigs on, and they're all wearing pantyhose, like these white pantyhose. It had to be very, very yes. uncomfortable. Yeah, I never understood why they dressed. Like, this just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, according to this note, it must be true. Two later dramatic interpretations of the American Revolutionary Era pay homage to Sit Down John in the HBO miniseries with Paul Giamatti, which is a, the I know Billions is going to have uh, spinoffs, millions and trillions. <laughs> John Adams is the prequel, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so Paul that, that makes sense. Yeah, that's quite quite a leap on how he yeah. gets to being John Adams to being into S and M as he is in right. in Billions. In that no. miniseries, Adams is pacing anxiously during his daughter's breast cancer surgery when Abigail admonishes him, "For God's sake, John, sit down." So that'd be a nice little oh, touch in the thing. That's nice. And in Hamilton, Lin Manuel Miranda paraphrases line in the song, "The Adams Administration." By having Alexander Hamilton sing, "Sit down, John, you fat motherfucker." Oh, so. ouch! Oh, that seemed a little. It does. Little, seems though. a little harsh. That's a little harsh. One of our, our second president. Um. Oh yeah, I do like that in the song that they sing back and forth. Um, she has a line. She's telling him to come home. She said, "There's one thing every woman's missed in Massachusetts Bay," and then he kind of gives her the huh. And she goes, don't smirk at me, you egotist. Pay attention to what I say. And that's when she tells them they need pins. Pins. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So my favorite fact is about to come up in this next part. So the next morning, uh, we hear John yelling. He's trying to find Ben Franklin. He's just yelling. And we see that Ben is sitting, um, like, in a courtyard, and he's having his portrait painted. Um, Adams walks up and he can, he's looking over the shoulder of the painter and he goes, Franklin, I have been looking everywhere for you. Where in God's name have you been? Right here, John, being preserved for posterity. Do you like it? <laughs> it stinks. As ever, the soul of tact. Well, the man's no Botticelli. And the subject's no Venus. <laughs> um... And then other lines that I like in that are, um, he, John is talking way too loud, as always. He goes, your voice is piercing, John. And John says, I wish my arguments were. <laughs> yeah. With one hand, they can raise an army, dispatch one of their own to lead it, and cheer the news from Bunker's Hill. And with the other, they wave the olive branch, begging the king for a happy and permanent reconciliation. Fat George has declared us in rebellion. Why in bloody hell can't they? John, really? You talk as if independence were the rule. It's never been done before. No colony has ever broken from the parent stem in the history of the world. Damn it, Franklin, you make us sound treasonous. Do I? Treason, eh? Treason is a charge invented by winners as an excuse for hanging the losers. Oh, what I have more to do than stand here listening to you quote yourself. No, that was a new one. (laughs) Uh, The fact I learned about this scene is... um, as you see it more, um, when they finish up this conversation, Franklin's basically telling John, we got to get somebody else to suggest, to, to propose independence, because everybody hates you in there, it's not going to go. And he goes, never. All right, well, who did you have in mind? <laughs> and Franklin's like, I didn't give it much thought. And just then, Richard Henry Lee from Virginia comes galloping in. Yes. Now they're, so they walk around the corner, and now they're, um, I think Franklin is literally sitting on it, they're standing in front of this fountain. 
do you know what that fountain is more famous for? Yes. Oh, I you do. do. So I can't blow your I mind with know. this. But the listeners, we can <laughs> blow their minds. Blow the mind for the listeners, yeah. That fountain that they sat on in 1972 while they were filming 1776 is the same fountain from the opening credits of Friends. Yes. The infamous... Yeah, dancing around to the Rembrandts. And I want to go back and re-edit 1776 so that... They, they should be like the credits. The credits for the movie should be yeah. all the characters dancing around the fountain to that song. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. it would be hilarious. That would be great. Now, I should look at The guy who plays Richard Henry Lee mm-hmm. also played him in the musical. So did Anthony, So did uh, William Daniels. Ken Howard was yeah. in the play. A lot of them, a lot of these guys were in the play. Most of the, they brought most of the cast with, with a few notable exceptions, yeah. Um, won a Tony for best featured actor. And I, he's, to me, he's the most annoying part of the whole movie. Like, I can't get him off the screen fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> and he won. William Daniels refused his nomination because he was nominated as a supporting player, which right. seems ridiculous because, John, if there's one. If, if you had to pick who is the main character in this movie, it's him. Yeah, they it, it could have called it John Adams in, yeah. in, in 1776, for that matter, yeah. Uh, right, yeah. but he, he didn't get nominated for the lead for some weird no, reason. No, but he got nominated for supporting and said, fuck it. Yeah, so I don't yeah, want basically it. we just said, I don't want it. Get to nominate me for that, I don't want it. But now the there's two guys that I enjoy the most in this movie is Howard De Silva, who plays oh. Ben Franklin. He is, to me, he is Ben Franklin. Don't you just... If wait. I picture Ben Franklin ever, I picture Howard I, De Silva. I don't picture the guy from the... What's Ben on? The 20? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I know. Don't you Don't you just hope that Ben Franklin was exactly like Howard yeah. De Silva? He's great. I do. Yeah. Now, I tell you, one person who uh, wouldn't want Ben Franklin to be just like Howard De Silva, and that was the director, Peter Hunt, yeah. Yeah. who said that Howard was such a pain in the ass... When they directed him in the play, that they did not want him in the movie. They yes. were going to use his uh, understudy, Rex Everhart. <laughs> Everhart is now better known as uh, playing Morris, or Maurice, but it's Morris, in Beauty and the Beast. That's right. You know, That's right. 19 years later. Well, the story goes too that Howard De Silva was promised that he would get to direct 1776, mm. the musical. And so he thought he was directing it. And then they brought in the guy um, to direct it, this guy who ended up doing the movie too, um, Peter Hunt. And this one was pissed because Peter Hunt really was a uh, had very little career. He was basically a lighting lighting designer on Broadway. Had, had only done, I think, one musical. It was about the Booth family. It was a John Wilkes, Wilkes Booth. Um, not da- not David Booth, the old forward from DePaul. <laughs> well, I was speaking of prequels. It, it, that was that may have been uh, part of it, and uh, yeah, so he was pissed. And he actually, did you know this? He tried to before they opened on Broadway. De Silva um, was going to quit because evidently there was you know when they when they do a Broadway show they go out of town to work out the kinks. And they went to, I think, uh, Connecticut and Washington. And and they went to Connecticut. Um, the uh, 
when they took it out again, they found out they had all kinds of problems with the with the script and the song. So they had to cut a number that I think took place in a brothel with oh. Franklin called Doozy Land. Doozy Land. This was the name of the, of the number, Doozy Land. And they said we have to get rid of this this number. It's, it's just not working. And um, he was so pissed that they eliminated Doozy Land from the show that he was having dinner with an actor friend of his that he and this actor were in Oklahoma together and he was just complaining about this 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 place sucks I'm not going to do it if, you know it's awful blah 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 and the guy, the guy evidently said to him Howard when we did Oklahoma you were the dumbest guy I ever met and you still are <laughs> <laughs> he said this show is the best is the best show you've ever been in and this is the best you have ever been and he literally had to you know run down to the theater because his agents were about to tell the uh, producers <laughs> that he was going to quit and the producers had hired a replacement actor for him uh to take over he was that serious and he stopped and you know was able to um to do the show and that that replacement stayed on as his as his understudy oh. ron everhart ron everhart maybe or Carl could have been Carl Weathers, for all we know. Who knows? Um, there's another interesting thing about De Silva. On did you know this? On the opening night of Broadway, the opening their opening night, De Silva had a heart attack. Oh. Before the show went on, he had a heart attack in his dressing room, and they tried to you know get him to, to the hospital, and he evidently said, "No, I'm doing this show." If I die on stage, I die on stage, but I'm doing this show. And he did the show, and immediately after the show, there was an ambulance waiting for him. They took him to the hospital, and uh, so he did that show. And um, and then while he was re- while he was recovering, his understudy uh, went on for him, but had a heart attack. Went on. Wow. Now that's a definition of the show must go on. Right yeah, now, he's tough. You no, know, Oliver Reed famously had a heart attack while he was filming Gladiator, and he did not go on. Mostly because he died. Um, Some uh, excuse. Yeah. So he is, and you could see it. There, he had one scene left, and it's a scene when um, Max, Maximus. I'm just going to do the whole name, and I can't think of it on top of my head. Yeah, Maximus is fine. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Is in is in the jail cell, and there's a riot going on, and you just see it's part of an elaborate thing. He's going to help us escape, and um, Oliver Reed's character needs to like just say one line. He kind of sticks his head right in view, and and it's the worst CGI ever. It's just it's it's sitting there's like holy what happened there oh he was dead oh well all right (laughs) i guess that's why that was bad like when they brought olivia soprano not nancy marchand back in the sopranos after she had passed away it didn't quite work um so anyway back at the fountain um yes richard henry lee is there now uh historically um in this he becomes in the play he becomes the governor of Virginia. That's why he leaves the delegation. Uh, in real life, Henry Lee, his cousin, 
because they a lot of a lot of creative name picking in the Lee family. We got Richard Henry yeah. Lee. How about just Henry for this guy? That would um, Was the became governor, not him. Richard Henry Lee had a what would it be? Great 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 grandson that you may know. Yeah, I think we do. Yes, yes. Derek Robert Lee e. from the Cubs. No, uh, <laughs> Derek Lee should have won the MVP in 2005. He got robbed by yep. Albert Pools. Yeah, uh, Robert E. Lee. So all one, all one big family. So yes. anyway, the whole, the whole idea is they're going to send, um, they're going to send Richard Henry Lee to Virginia to go to the House of Burgesses, Burgess Merediths, and Carl Weathers and Burgess Meredith. They basically they just could have filmed Rocky on the same set. Yeah, it was a prequel of Rocky. Yeah. Um, he's going to go. Imagine if Sly Stallone was in this movie. Some of you. Yo, John. <laughs> sit down. Yo, John, sit down. Yo, Frank. Sly, that's not it. Sit down, John. Sly. Yo, John. Chase, actually, it would be even better. Just him, no dialogue, just him chasing a chicken around the fountain in the background. Now, don't even focus on him. He just, just kind of comes in and out. Right, right. With the with somebody from the House of Burgesses. Yeah, you gotta, you're gonna, what is it? You're gonna run like lightning and crap thunder or whatever. Crap thunder. They just eat lightning and crap thunder. Yeah, eat lightning and crap thunder. Just be doing like one arm push ups in the back of the <laughs> or, or just off in the distance, like you see him on top of a, lo- of a tall staircase with his arms up. Maybe like sh- boxing. He's got, he's got a knit, sto- he's got a knit stocking cap on, but he has this elaborate, like, Revolutionary War era, you know, like the suit and the high socks. But he's still, there's, there's Rocky running up the steps to what's going to be the library someday. Like the triang- that triangular hat on. <laughs> uh, so they're going to send Richard Henry Lee to Virginia because everybody knows Virginia is for independence, but they've never bothered to actually like codify it. So he's going to go, he's going to propose it, they're going to vote on it, and he's going to come back, and then it's that's going to start the, the ball in motion. And he's going on, he's singing his whole song about the, the Lees of old Virginia. Would you come to the one colony that can get the job done? Virginia, the land that gave us our glorious commander-in-chief. George Washington will now give the continent its proposal on independence. And when Virginia proposes, the South is bound to follow. And where the South goes, the middle colonies go. Gentlemen, a salute to Virginia, the mother of American independence. Incredible. We're free and he hasn't even left yet. <laughs> Then we get a nice. Now we get, now they're back at. Uh, we go back to the Congress, and it's a nice way to kind of introduce the characters. You need to have, what's the you know you, you have a new person, they have to introduce themselves to the new person, so right. then we as the viewer get introduced to all these people. And the guy is Dr. Lyman Hall of Georgia, and he shows up and there's nobody there yet, and he's like, I thought we started at ten o'clock, and McNair is like, Well, they'll start milling in anytime, and. Uh, <laughs> Then he says, oh, here's Old Grape and Guts. Grape and Guts. That's Stephen Hopkins of Rhode Island, who walks in at 10 o'clock in the morning and demands rum. And Lyman Hall even calls him on it. He's like, I fear it's a little early in the day. And Hopkins is like, nonsense. It's a medicinal fact that rum gets a man's heart started in the morning. As a man of medicine, I'm surprised you didn't know that. <laughs> and then... Uh, then in comes a guy uh, who uh, is, they mention that he's the youngest member 
of Congress. Yes. And the actor, is it John Cullen? Uh, it's Cullen for sure, let's yeah. see. Yeah. Is not the youngest cast member. I uh, know. So you could have probably uh, left that line out because we're like, Wait, how old is this dude? He looks like he's... Now, uh, that... Yeah, he's like, he's like 45 years old. Yeah, and that actor is still alive. Yes, he is. And uh, um, the last thing... Uh, the, actually, this is bad. This is what I know him from. He was the grandpa on the middle. That's what I know, that's what I know him from. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but that show only went off the air like four years ago. And he's still kicking around. His wife's still alive, too. They've been married for, like, 56 years or something. How about that? But that man is Edward Rutledge of South Carolina. Nettie. Everybody calls him Nettie. Nettie's so cute. Uh, Where does uh, Georgia stand on the question of independence with South Carolina? (laughs) (laughs) And and, in John Adams, the uh, Paul Giamatti John Adams, the... The guy who plays Edward Rutledge is like 16 years old. He looks like he's 16. Yeah. He, he looks like the youngest guy in Congress. John Gollum uh, does not look that young. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And I like, so after they have, he has a conversation with um, Nitty. And then um, finally the steward or somebody walks up and hands... Uh, Hopkins, two tankards of rum. And he says, well, where'd you go for it, man? Jamaica? <laughs> Which was the height, height of hilarity in 1776. Oh, yes. I love that. Uh, we meet the Delaware delegation with uh, Cesar oh, Rock. Clear, by the way, just real quick, the two oh. tankers are for him. He didn't yes. get one. Oh, no, right. right. no yeah. he's, he's double fisting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we meet Caesar Rodney, who you may know best as uh, being on the uh, the cor- the uh, commemorative quarter for Delaware. Do you remember wow. when that was a thing? When every year they pushed out like four or five new quarters, and they had some on the state. They got the yeah. Delaware one. It's like, what the fuck is Caesar Rodney? Well, that's what the fuck Caesar Rodney is. Oh, okay. What are you doing and, in Delaware? And Colonel Thomas McKean, who gets a lot of the best lines in the movie, or, or maybe not the best lines, but he delivers them the best with that ridiculously deep Scottish bro. got this crazy Scottish accent. And then they got a third guy, I didn't bother to write his first name, <laughs> Reed, who, right. the, Caesar and, and uh, Colonel McKean are pro-independence and the other guy is anti. Yes. And so they outrank, every delegation has three members, so they have him outvoted. As long as, foreshadowing, as long as they're both there. Yes, See, but that's another thing because uh, when one of them, when Caesar is no longer there, then it's one to one, 
But why wouldn't they just abstain? Like, why wouldn't that just be a dead? Why is it on a, on a mag? No, well, New, York, I mean, New York courtesy. Abstain. But I mean, we'll get to it. It, it was very we'll bad. It. it was very bad strategy by John Adams and the others is that when Caesar had to go home, they had McKean take him. So yeah. now neither of them are there. So now the only guy there is going to vote against independence. Yeah, if that guy Reed or whatever his name is, have I take him? Right. Um. So anyway, Caesar Caesar meets um, Doctor Hall and uh, asks if he could speak to him in private. And they go out into the to get privacy. They go out onto the street mm-hmm. where everyone is. And uh, he asks if he's a doctor of medicine or theology. And Hall says he's a little bit of both. He says, which one do you need? And he's like, well, I need the f- former, but I'm, we'll see. I might also need the latter. Uh, so Caesar Rodney died of skin cancer. He died of melanoma. Mm-hmm. Like what? Melanoma, carcinoma, some sort in, of melanoma. He died of melanoma in 1782. I thought it was 84. Oh, yeah. was it 10 years? I thought it was 8 Point years. being, well after. Yes. So They make it seem like he's on his deathbed. Yes. But anyway, but he did he did die of skin cancer. Yes, he goes on to become governor, I believe, after this of of Delaware. So the reason for uh, the movie, the reason they go out in the street, is then you can immediately pan to a fancy carriage pulling up, and Phil Hartman gets out of it. Oh, okay. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) He is absolutely Phil. (laughs) Phil Hartman. Um, the actor, who was that actor? Uh, Donald Madden. Donald Madden, uh, Joe Madden's uncle. Um, yeah. The way he acts, he's fine. He's a good character. He's a good actor. Yes. But the way he acts and the way I'm, he's doing very Broadway, he's projecting. It's it is Phil Hartman acting like a pompous asshole, doing a pompous asshole character. He, he looks sounds, like Phil Hartman. He sounds yep. like Phil Hartman. Exactly. He like is him. Phil Hartman. Yeah. It's to the point where it's like unsettling. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> How did he? No, that can't be right. Like, no, he'd have been like he'd have been like nineteen years old. He's not in this. <laughs> How did he get in this show? Yeah, crazy. So he hops out of his little carriage and comes prancing over. I trust Caesar. When you're through converting the poor fellow to independency, that you'll give the opposition a fair crack at him. <laughs> you're too late, John. Once I get them, they're gone. He's followed by another member of the delegation, and after they talk, um, and Caesar had introduces Dickinson to Lyman Hall. Dickinson walks, turns to walk in, and the guy is standing there going, <coughs> Oh, Judge Wilson, forgive me, but how can anyone see you if you insist on standing in Mr. Dickinson's shadow? <laughs> so it's uh, it's Judge James Wilson, yes, who is the uh, similarly he is the third member of the Massachusetts delegation, where Benjamin Franklin is for independence, obviously, and John Dickinson is against it, and then you have right. Judge Wilson, right. Um, now so it's funny took, because oh, go ahead because I no, I'm it's exactly, so they took a, that's an error where they, they take a, the take a little creative license. The the actual delegation was like. Pennsylvania delegation was like seven guys. Yeah, there was actual. Um, according to this, there would only be thirty-nine members of Congress. Yeah, there were uh, upwards of fifty in reality. Right, right. But this fits better on the stage. It does, yeah. 
Although, although Georgia and Rhode Island only seem to have one. Yeah. So. Didn't want to didn't want to spend the money to send more than one person. <laughs> exactly. Sounds like a it does sound like a budget cut thing. Now it's funny because then they then give Ben Franklin a great introduction, but we've already had a whole scene with him, two scenes with him. Yeah. Uh, but he comes in carried in on a litter, and he gets a, they take him right to his seat in the back of the. He's been like like the back corner. Yeah. And he hops out and he tips the footman. Watch where you're going, Captain. Over there. Uh, McMahon, get me out of this thing. Huh? Watch out for the foot. Good morning, all. Morning, man. Uh, here you are. Two coppers apiece. Now straight back to jail with you. <laughs> and um, Lyman Hall walks up to him, and he goes, uh, he just kind of looks at him, and Ben goes, What are you staring at? Haven't you ever seen a great man before? <laughs> Good Lord, sir. Do you have the honor to be Dr. Franklin? Yes, I have that honor. Unfortunately, the gout accompanies the honor. Ah, been living to I again, eh, Pappy? Oh, Stephen, I only wish King George felt like my big toe all over. <laughs> and he's got his foot in, like, a little green, like, slipper. Yeah. And he puts it up. Elevated on a chair. Do you know Ben Franklin did not have a doctorate? He had two uh, honorary doctorates, and apparently he apparently he didn't mind when people you know did, he let people call him Doctor Franklin. Yeah. And then we get to see John Hancock, and um, his fly swatter. Yes. He's my other favorite, like the, the actor doing the job. I just I really like John Hancock in this. Yeah, he's, he's a good. Job. He shows up and he immediately cuts Stephen Hopkins off from rum for three days. Because you have abused the privilege, and he takes a tanker to run right out of Hopkins' hand, and Hopkins turns and he walks back to his seat, reaches down, grabs another one on his way back to the seat. So he's still got two. And he's looking. Uh, Hancock's looking around. The secretary will read the roll. And all members present, with following exceptions: Mr. Payne, Mr. Jerry, Mr. Samuel Adams of Massachusetts, Mr. Morton of Pennsylvania, Mr. With, and Mr. Richard Henry Lee of Virginia and the entire delegation of New Jersey. I'm concerned over the continual absence of 113th of this Congress. Where is New Jersey? Somewhere between New York and Pennsylvania. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so Hancock asked if Franklin knows where the New Jersey delegation is, considering his son is the royal governor of the colony. And Franklin says, Son? What son? As that title suggests, we are not in touch. <laughs> we are not. We're not on speaking terms. Uh, now Thomas Jefferson gets his first line, and he informs Hancock he will be leaving after that day's session to attend to family business, to which Hopkins goes, Give her a flourish for me, young fella! <laughs> and Hour gives him a little, a little knowing and nod and a wink. And then the secretary, Thompson, they never say what his first name is, but they call him Thompson. Yeah, he's great. Um, a real guy who was the actual secretary of the Continental Congress as long as it went on, who then um, went to work for Thomas Jefferson after that. Oh, we did he, huh? For the rest of his life. Very nice. Uh, but he will continually get um, a, a uh, courier will come in and hand him notes, and they are from George Washington. Sadly, I see no way of stopping them at the present time, as my army is absolutely falling apart. 
My military chest is totally exhausted. My commissary general has strained his credit to the last. My quartermaster has no food, no arms, no ammunition, and my troops are in a state of near mutiny. I pray God some relief arrives before the Armada, but fear it will not. Your obedient. G. Washington. Mr. President. Colonel McKeon. Surely we have managed to promote the gloomiest man on this continent to the head of our troops. Those dispatches are the most depressing accumulation of disaster, doom, and despair in the entire annals of military history. What? It's too hard. Oh, I, I suppose so. General Washington will continue wording his dispatches as he sees fit, and uh, I'm sure we all pray he finds happier thoughts to convey in the near future. Uh, I've always liked this scene. So then, uh, it's, well, it's probably the same scene, but Dr. Josiah Bartlett pops yes. up <laughs> from New Hampshire, who's a uh, fictional uh, officer, or, or uh, what would it be? What would you the call descendant. It? Descendant. Um, would become president, a two-term president in the West Wing universe. Uh, Dr. Josiah Bartlett of New Hampshire. Result that for the duration of the present hostilities, the Congress discourage every type of extravagance and dissipation, elaborate funerals and other expensive diversions, especially all horse races, gambling, and other forms of sinful activity. All yeah. out, they all run out of the Congress like little kids. Right. And um, somebody's like, anybody see the fire? And they point out some house, like, oh, the house is brand new. And he's like, oh, might be the city tavern. And Hopkins <laughs> yells, bite your tongue, man. Bite your tongue, man. Eventually. The same thing in, in, the, in the John Adams miniseries. There's a fire and ABC, you know, Paul Giamatti screaming out in the fire. I guess everybody's running out to fires all the time. Yeah. Back in these days, but I think the only purpose of that scene was to give uh, Mr. Lee his entrance. Yes, right. Yep, seems like it. Then Richard Henry Lee shows up, and he announces that Virginia has passed a resolution for independence. So he proposes it, and Adams seconds it, and the chair fi- they finally are going to debate independence uh, until Dickinson stands up and proposes. That the motion for independence be postponed again. Apparently, they've if they've tried this many many times, it always gets postponed. Right. And uh, Judge Wilson stands next to him <coughs> and says, "I second the motion." <laughs> and Hancock just sighs and looks at him and he's like, uh, "Judge Wilson, in your eagerness to be loved, you seem to have forgotten that Pennsylvania cannot second its own motion." <laughs> but Reed pops up. Delaware seconds. You would, you lousy wart. Lousy wart. You lousy wart. Delaware seconds. So now they need to take a roll call uh, to see if they have enough votes to start the discussion. Rhode Island. Mr. Hopkins. Where's Rhode Island? Rhode Island is out visiting the necessary. After what Rhode Island's consumed, I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, we'll come back to him, Mr. Thompson. And Rhode Island passes. <laughs> oh, boy. 
boy, did they like that joke. Rhode Island passes. Connecticut votes yay because they were under instruction to support a debate of independence once someone other than Massachusetts proposed it. Very, very deeply disliked. New York abstains courteously. New York. New York abstains courteously. New York abstains courteously. Courteously. Which evidently did happen a lot. They did end up abstaining on many, many votes. Nettie gets up and says South Carolina will consider it because their good friends in Virginia have proposed it. But they say that until every other state supports it, uh, they they won't. Yes, when a, when a gentleman proposes it. The new guy gets up. Lyman Hall from Georgia. Georgia. Mr. President, Georgia seems to be split right down the middle on this issue. The people are against it, and I'm for it. <laughs> However, I'm afraid I'm not quite certain whether representing the people means relying on their judgment or on my own. In all fairness, until I can figure that out, I'd better lean a little on their side. Georgia says nay. So now it's tied. And Hopkins is back from the outhouse. I like that his... I don't know where his dog goes. He probably just says feet in the thing, but it, it, you could always tell he's in the outhouse because his dog is laying out next to the outhouse. They show it like three times. Right. <laughs> Hold your damn horses! Waiting on you, Mr. Hopkins. Well, it won't kill you. You'd think the Congress would have its own privy. All right, where she stand? Five for debate, five for postponement, one abstention, and one absence. So it's up to me, huh? Well, I'll tell you. In all my years, I never seen, heard, nor smelled an issue that was so dangerous it couldn't be talked about. Hell yes, I'm for debating anything. Rhode Island says yay. So uh, half the half the room cheers, and Hancock is so excited he restores Rhode Island's rum privileges. Chair now declares this Congress a committee of the whole for the purpose of debating Virginia's resolution on independence. <laughs> well learned. So now Dickinson and Adams get into it. Dickinson wants to know why he's so insistent on independence. Um, at one point, he calls himself an Englishman, and Adam responds that they are Americans. And Dickinson hits his cane on the floor to emphasize the syllables in Englishmen. And Franklin is like, Sir, Englishman! Please, Mr. Dickinson, must you start banging? How is a man to sleep? <laughs> Forgive me, Dr. Franklin, but must you start speaking? How is a man to stay awake? <laughs> we'll promise to be quiet, sir. I'm sure everyone prefers that you remain asleep. If I'm to hear myself called an Englishman, sir, I assure you I prefer I'd remain asleep. Now, what's so terrible about being called an Englishman? The English don't seem to mind. Nor would I, were I given the full rights of an Englishman. But to call me one without those rights is like calling an ox a bull. He's thankful for the honor, but he'd much rather have restored what's rightfully his. <laughs> when did you first notice they were missing, sir? <laughs> 
And the thing I like about that is everyone laughs, including Franklin. I love that too. Like he That's thinks great. it's hilarious. He's tickled by it. Yes. And Dickinson says, fortunately, the people of these colonies maintain a higher regard for their mother country. Franklin says, higher certainly than she feels for them. Never was such a valuable possession so stupidly and so recklessly managed in this entire continent by the British crown. Our industry discouraged, our resources pillaged. Worst of all, our very character stifled. We've spawned a new race here, Mr. Dickinson. Rougher, simpler, more violent, more enterprising, less refined. We're a new nationality. We require a new nation. By the way, that is a pretty damn good description. <laughs> you know, that holds up that holds up pretty well today. Yes, it does. Yeah. And a lot of Franklin's dialogue, especially when he talk when it's lengthy, is from stuff he wrote. Yeah. So he's very likely actually wrote or said that. Yes, absolutely. And Dickens says, Well that may be your opinion, Doctor Franklin, but as I said, the people feel quite differently. So now Adams says what do you know about the people, Mr. Dickinson? You don't speak for the people. You represent only yourself. And that precious status quo you keep imploring the people to keep for their own good is nothing more than the eternal preservation of your own property. And Dickinson says, Adams has a talent for making words like property seem distasteful. Dickinson says, why is it always Boston which breaks the king's peace? My dear Congress, you must not adopt this evil measure. It is the work of the devil. Leave it where it belongs in New England. And arguments break out all over the room. Everybody's yeah. arguing with somebody. And they calm down a little bit. And Rutherford asks Adams, if they get independence, who will rule South Carolina? And Adams says, the people. Rutherford wants to know if it's, he means the people of South Carolina. People of South Carolina. Or everyone. Because South Carolina wants every colony to be independent of each other. They want 13 separate nations. They don't want... So the, <laughs> in reality... Um, South Carolina had been pushing for independence for decades, but not the kind of independence that everybody else was. Mm-hmm. They didn't want an, they didn't want a formal alliance with the other what would become states. They just wanted their own. They wanted to be their own country. Yeah, united for their mutual defense and protection with the other states. But other than that, completely able to govern themselves. And that's what we will support once. Everyone else supports it. And then the man that Adams refers fondly to as Old Bacon Face, <laughs> Samuel yes. Chase of Maryland, says they don't need to declare independence. If Washington's army loses, they won't pay any price. But if the army wins, we can declare anything we damn well please. And Adam goes on his whole thing about don't you think an army needs something to fight for? He's going on and on, and then him and Dickinson start arguing. Dickinson calls him a madman. Adams calls Dickinson a coward, then a landlord. Then Dickinson calls him a lawyer, and as soon as he says lawyer, they immediately start, like, fighting with their canes. Yes. Well, my favorite line is when he goes, when Adams calls Dickinson, you fribble! (laughs) Fribble. Fribble. First and only time the word fribble has ever been used in the history of American cinema. You fribble! Um, so now there's people fighting again, and McKean shoots off his gun in the room. Stop it! Stop it! His rifle like that. fires it into the ceiling. 
And yep. Caesar Rodney tells everybody, stop. This is the Congress. Stop it, I say. The enemy's out there. No, Mr. Rodney, the enemy is here. No, I say he's out there. England. England closing in. Cutting off our air. There's no time. No air. And then he collapses. And the actor who plays him is like shorter than Nick Madrow. Yeah. He's a tiny little guy. When the real Caesar, I believe, was like 6'2 or 6'3. He's a very tall man. Um, so McKeon summons Dr. Hall. And McKeon tells Dr. Hall that Rodney has cancer. Dr. Hall. Colonel McKeon. I. It's the cancer. But he should go home. A man should die in his own bed. John. John Adam. I'm here, Caesar. I leave you a divided Delaware. Forgive me. I'll take you home, Caesar. So with McKean and Rodney gone... Rutledge immediately calls for a vote. And Reed seconds it. The, the, the only person left from Delaware. Right. Delaware seconds. So Adams is quickly looking to stall. He's got to come up with something. He tells Franklin, think of something. So Franklin, in the, the ultimate delay tactic, uh, could you read the resolution again? <laughs> we need to know what we're voting on. Could you yeah. read it? So Thompson starts to read the the resolution, and a new member comes, a new delegation comes walking in the back of the room. Yes. And it is the governor from Benson. Governor. We do James not see, Noble. We do not see Robert Robert Guillaume, <laughs> but he's not there. He's probably out uh, tying up the horses. Yeah. And he goes, "Oh, excuse me. Is is this the Continental Congress?" Well, yes, I, I can see that it must be. Uh, it's all right, we found it. We've been looking for you everywhere, you see. Someone told us that you might be at Carpenter's Hall, and, and someone else suggested Library Hall, and so finally we ask a constable. Excuse me, sir, but uh, if you don't mind, the uh, Congress is about to decide the question of American independence. Oh, how splendid. That means we're not too late. Uh, these gentlemen are Mr. Francis Hopkinson, Mr. Richard Stockton, and I am the Reverend John Witherspoon. We're the new delegates from New Jersey. Did you know that the Reverend John Witherspoon is believed to be an ancestor of Reese Witherspoon? Correct. Yeah, he had a summer book club, and he would he would make um, he would take these he would take these books and. He would produce them and turn them into plays. Oh, wait, no, that's her making movies. Um, so anyway, as soon as they find out there's the new delegates from New Jersey, everybody is on them like stink on shit to try to find out, to try to convince them to vote their way. Because they're tied again. With uh, Delaware out. And this is nice. He walks up to Franklin. <laughs> he goes... Dr. Franklin? I regret that I must be the bearer of unhappy tidings, sir. But your son, the royal governor of New Jersey, has been taken prisoner. 
and has been moved under guard to the colony of Connecticut for safekeeping. Is he unharmed, sir? When last I heard he was, yes, sir. Well, then why the long face? I hear Connecticut is an excellent location. Tell me, why did they arrest the little bastard? <laughs> yeah. And they would never reconcile, evidently, Franklin and his son. Although Franklin did become close to his grandson, who I think became his secretary, but he, but Franklin and his son, uh, the royal governor, never really, never fully reconciled. Yeah. That. I felt bad because his, his son um, was playing a little league tournament in, in St. Louis once, and everybody's like, "Hey, your dad, Ben Franklin's here," and he was actually there to see a, a different kid. No way, no, no, that was that was, that's that was Chip Carey and his grandpa of. Harry. Chip. Right. How do you get those? Right. I get them confused. Yeah, his grandpa Ben Franklin. Harry would have made a good Ben Franklin. Yeah. Skip would have made a good John Adams. Yeah. Well, not quite the intellectual past, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, Adams asks Reverend Witherspoon where they stand on independence. Like, oh, oh, haven't I made my, myself clear? I suppose <laughs> I haven't. Like, no. We are to vote for independence. That was why they recalled the other delegation and sent them. So now Adams runs to the board and reminds Hancock uh, that uh, as, as president of the uh, Congress, he has the privilege to break any votes that are deadlocked. Yes, the chair thanks Mr. Adams for his reminder. Uh, yes, the tally board, did you know, the tally board and the calendar were not in the musical. Those were added for, oh. the, uh, they were added for the film. Yeah. I knew they weren't real. Yeah. Um, yeah they the tally board was right. simply to, so you could make sense of... Help the audience figure out, yeah. Who was on what uh, side? Or maybe that's it. It was in the right. It wasn't real, but it was in the musical and the, then in the film. And the same with the calendar, so the audience could follow along. Like this conversation taking place on June seventh, so the audience like, okay, well, we still got a few weeks yeah. here. Like, yeah, it's not happening yet. I can, I can go take a whiz and get another yeah. beer on my way back in my seat. Yeah, I don't have, uh, I don't have June seventh off, so I, I, I got a little longer to, <laughs> to go in this play. Uh, so now it's time for Dickinson to try to figure out how to delay things. And he proposes that any vote in favor of independence must be unanimous. Judge Wilson immediately stands up and seconds <laughs> right. and just gets stared at again. <laughs> you can't do that. It's got to be a different state. Did he say something like, oh, my God. It's very embarrassing. Yes, he's Judge very embarrassed. Very, he did it again. He did it twice <laughs> in five minutes. Adams whines that no vote, no other vote has to be unanimous. Dickinson insists this one does so that, quote, no colony be torn from its mother country without its consent. Delaware seconds, Mr. President. No vote has ever had to be unanimous, Dickinson, and you know it. Yes, but this one must be. On what grounds? That no colony be torn from its mother country without its own consent. Here, here. It will never be unanimous, damn it. If you say so, Mr. Adams. You say so. So the vote is tied at six, with New York abstaining. Courteously. Courteously. So Hancock has to break the tie. Mr. Secretary, New York abstains. Courteously, Mr. Morris. Why does New York constantly abstain? Why does New York simply stay in New York? Very well, the vote is tied. The principles of independence have no greater advocate in Congress than its president. That is why I must join those who vote for unanimity. Good God, John, what are you doing? You've sunk us! Now hear me out. 
Don't you see that any colony who opposes independence will be forced to fight on the side of England? Well, that we'll be setting brother against brother. That our new nation will carry as its emblem the mark of Cain. No, I can see no other way. Either we all walk together, or together we must stay where we are. So Adams is trying to figure out a stall again. Secretary goes to read it again and gets interrupted again. He goes, oh, for heaven's sake, let me get through it once. <laughs> He's very disappointed. And Adams requests a postponement because they can't vote on independence without uh, a formal declaration. <laughs> Somebody says to him, we know, though. Oh, it's Adam, uh, without a formal declaration, they need to air their, they need to, to uh, mark down their grievances. Somebody's like, we know those, don't we? And he's like, oh, goodness, we know. Oh. Yeah, we, we know so now Jefferson, Jefferson has been sitting in the window picking his ass this whole time. And uh, when Adams is asked what the declaration would say, Jefferson rises and says, Come now, Mr. Adams. You'll have to do better than that. Answer straight. What would be its purpose? Yes. Well, to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent. And then I like to see looks at John and winks. Like, I just saved your ass. So, like every good bureaucracy, now they have to form a committee. Yes, gotta have a, need a committee to write it. And they get all the members down and they want Richard Henry Lee, because he proposed to, to be on the committee, and he says, Oh, I'm off to be governor. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're going to make Thomas Jefferson do it. So you see Ben Franklin, he's actually doing these pointing to John Adams. Like, come on, he's like, look here, Jefferson. I, and we must have a Virginian, uh, Mr. Jefferson. And um, Jefferson is, immediately objects because he wants to go home and get laid. Yep. He says, I that burn. John, so do, and Adam says, so I do Mr. I. Mr. A. Mr. A. He goes, oh, as do I, Mr. J. Like, you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, you have sex. You have sex? He's like, yeah, I got like, I got like eight kids with the shits back in brain trade. Prove yeah. it. <laughs> so anyway, then the members of the committee go out into the hallway and sing, but Mr. Adams. Yes. A catchy tune, a fun tune. It is. And Jefferson ends up with the quill pen in his hand. So then we see him sitting in his house some morning, and you get the impression it's the next day, but it's not. They gave him a whole week to work on it, and he's just got, he's been wadding up paper and throwing it all over. Yeah, Adams and uh, Franklin approach, and they hear they hear violin playing. Jefferson! What is that racket? Latest thing from Europe, John. It's called music. I came here hoping to hear a pen scratching, not a bow. <laughs> so they walk in and they just see the piles of stuff. And uh, Adam's like, do you mean to say it's not yet finished? Jefferson says, I mean to say it's not yet started. Yeah. No, sir. Although when I ask where it is, he's got the bow in his hand. He's pointing at piles of paper. Like, there and there and yeah. there, and there. Did bows have a pointy end back in the day? Because he uses it like a garbage. Like a pick <laughs> a garbage <or> stabs through. <laughs> it's through. through that. It was a weapon. Adams and Jefferson start arguing and Adams like the world it says it's been a week the world was created in a week Jefferson says to Adams someday you must tell me how you did it disgusting and uh, Franklin has fallen asleep in the bed <laughs> yeah <laughs> like three minutes he's out like a light yep Adams goes over to wake him up and a comely young woman 
walks in the door. And it turns out Adams has sent for Martha Jefferson. And he goes to uh, the... She goes over to Thomas and they start making out. <laughs> Adams walks yeah, up, she... tries to introduce himself, and she's not yeah. paying any attention. And while he's kind of stammering, he just goes, he points to Dr. Franklin, uh, the inventor of the stove. <laughs> <laughs> right, there. They're lip-locked. So there's a couple things about this. There's a good chance uh, that Gwyneth Paltrow is in this movie. Oh, was Blythe Danner pregnant? A little less than nine months after she filmed the movie, she had a little Oh, she should get a credit then in the residuals. Yes. Uh, yes. And in reality, they did not send for Martha. No. Martha had had a miscarriage and was suffering still from gestational diabetes and was not fit to travel. Yes. That would have made for a much less... The, mus- the musical number coming up next would have been really, really awkward. It would have been a little sad. Yeah, it would have been a little awkward. Uh, Blythe Daner was not in the original musical production. She's one of the actors that did not come over from the musical. Do you know who, who was in the... Who played Martha in the musical? Julie Andrews. Uh, we have a Julie Andrews connection yeah, later, I as don't. you know. Uh, I remember Betty the, Buckley. Oh, Betty Buckley. Okay, no, that's not the, that's not the fact I was thinking. Okay. okay. Um... So anyway, uh, Franklin takes the hint and kind of ushers Adams out of the out of the building. Yeah. And uh, Adams is like, you know, when uh, Jefferson walks over and looks at him and slams the door shut. And Adams is like, you don't mean they're going to in the middle of the day? Not everyone's from Boston, John. Not everyone's from Boston, John. Great line. Uh, then we get uh, Vaseline on the lens again. All right. And there's Abigail, and she asks a pretty good question. If you were sending for wives, John, why didn't you send for your own? And then he goes through this whole tortured thing about how uh, Martha is scrawny and not as, you know. Right, right. The, 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 the winters are softer. In here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, of course, he didn't send for her because nobody sent for Martha either. None of the wives were sent no, for her. that's right. So the next morning, Franklin walks up, and John is sleeping on the stairs. Is yeah, and I think the fair point here is John is. Uh, we learn John is quite lonely, though, right? Because he, because as he and the night, as he and Franklin depart, oh, yeah. Jefferson and Martha, he kind of says, uh, "Oh, uh, what do you have? For, what do you do for dinner?" And they want to go to a bunch of grapes or whatever it was yeah, called. Yeah, bunch of they have fresh, fresh turkey. But I hear the fresh turkey, a bunch of grapes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Franklin's John. Franklin's got a whore to go take care of, so yeah. uh, he's not I, he's not waiting. I'd, I'd brought you along, but talking makes her nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he sleeps uh, outside on the steps, very, very lonely, missing, missing his wife. Got nothing to do, and Franklin comes by the next morning. And they look up, and Martha has thrown the shutters open. Oh, John, look at her. Just look at her. Oh, I am. She's even more magnificent than I remember. Of course, we didn't see much of her front last night. Good morrow, madam. Good morrow. <laughs> Is it the habit in Philadelphia for strangers to shout at ladies from the street? Not really, but... And for men of your age, it is not only unseemly, it is unsightly. Uh, excuse me, madam, uh, but we met last evening. I spoke to no one last evening. Indeed, you did not. Nonetheless, we did present ourselves. 
This is Mr. John Adams. I am Dr. Benjamin Franklin, the inventor of the stove. Yes. And looks down and sees these two old creeps <laughs> standing on the street. Do you always make a habit of lingering outside of windows? Yeah. And they tell her that they met her uh, the night before. And she's like, no, no, I didn't. I didn't meet anybody. And he's like, I'm, doc- I'm Dr. Franklin, inventor of the stove. <laughs> All the things, too. They keep going to the stove. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, yeah. There's other things that are maybe more impressive than that, but all right. She agrees. Thomas is still asleep, so she's, she's I'll come down. She's going to come down yeah. and talk to him. And then they have a, they have a good conversation while she's uh, coming down the stairs about the history books. And um, Adams actually said this. Well, no wonder the man couldn't write. Who could think of independence married to her? I feel an absolute fool. That's good for you, John. I tell you, Franklin, it's positively indecent. John, they're young and they're in love. Not them, Franklin, us. Standing down here waiting for them to... Uh... Well, what will people think? Don't worry, John. The history books will clean it up. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll not appear in the history books anyway. Only you. Franklin did this, and Franklin did that, and Franklin did some other damn thing. Franklin smote the ground and out sprang George Washington, fully grown and on his horse. Franklin then electrified him with his miraculous lightning rod, and the three of them, Franklin, Washington, and the horse, conducted the entire revolution all by themselves. I like it. I like it. I like it. So then my wife had come down last night while I was rewatching this and she's like, Ooh, have they done the have they done the plays the violin song yet? It's ah, about to come up. And she said she stuck around until it was on. I was like, oh, okay, that's great. But they do that song where they get to dance with Blythe Danner and Yeah, that's a song that for me that that's the song that sticks in your head for a few days afterwards. He plays the violin. He tucks it right under his chin. And he bows, oh, he bows, for he knows, yes, he knows, that it's high, 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 diddle, diddle, twixt my heart, Tom and his fiddle, my strings are unstrung. So they finished the, finish dancing around, and then um, um, she heads back up the stairs, and Jefferson leads her back into the building, and then he comes back out, and he drops a note, and says he's going, he's taking her back to bed. And Franklin goes, I should have written it. At my age, there's, or he's talking about the declaration, I should have written it. At my age, there's no doubt the pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the New York audience would have loved that line for sure. So they head back to Congress, and McKean is back. He says Rodney's in terrible shape. He might never leave home again for eight years. Terrible shape. But for eight more years. So Adams tells McKean he's got to work on Reed so they can get Delaware to vote for independence. McKean shakes his gun and says, this will break the tie. And then you just hear him arguing. And this is the second time we, the second one of these we've done where we've had this line. Damn your eyes! <laughs> Reed. 
<laughs> you come into this world blind and you're determined to leave it the same way, you slimy worm. <laughs> so, we got that. We got Damn Your Eyes and Young Frankenstein and yeah. in, in 1776. That should, that should be our criteria. So if someone says, Damn Your Eyes, that means we need to do a deep dive on it. So, now Adam's trying to, he's sending people out to, you know, work on the ones who are against him. Right. And he says he's going to talk to old Bacon Face. <laughs> He goes to talk to him earlier in the early in the production. Uh, Chase has got got stuck in a chair. Now the actor playing him is not that fat. No, no, but he's fat, but he's not that fat. Yeah, I mean he didn't. He had to he had to pretend that he he wasn't really stuck in the chair. It was acting. Gotcha. And you can kind of see it's like why well, can't you just get up? I mean, there's sp- because he's space there. Maybe <laughs> yeah. somebody build a smaller chair so he can yeah. actually get stuck in it. it Cost too much. Um, while they're working on that, uh, another report arrives from the general. And um, among the things we learn is how poorly disciplined the soldiers are, how ineffective the leaders are, and that there's an outbreak of the French disease. Um, so that oh, it was Charles Thompson. It says, in the dispatch read by Congressional Secretary Charles Thompson, General Washington complains about soldiers suffering from the French disease, which is a common term for syphilis in English-speaking countries. Virtually every country in the 16th century, from the 16th century onward, called syphilis after someone else's nationality. Example, the Spanish disease, the Italian disease, the Dutch disease. Ironically, it most likely originated in the Caribbean with Christopher Columbus's sailors introducing it to Europe in 1493. Oh, my. So anyway, so they're uh, talking about the stuff, the bad stuff's going on in New Brunswick. And uh, Hancock looks at Adam and says, Well, John, you're the head of the war committee. Are you up for some whoring, drinking, deserting in New Brunswick? <laughs> and Reverend Witherspoon goes, There must be some mistake. I have an aunt in New Brunswick. Dickinson yells, You must tell her to keep up the good work. <laughs> Dickinson gets a lot of good lines. In this. Yeah, he does. Anyway, Adam's convinces Chase to go to New Brunswick with him and check out the troops. Franklin, we're going to New Jersey. Like hell I am, what for? I think it's like Nero goes, the drinking and the whoring. <laughs> and he just he doesn't say a word, he just goes. <laughs> He's up and gone. Perfect. So then, um, most of the those voting for independence are gone. Mm. They're off, doing, they're off uh, doing things. Which leaves all the other guys. The South. Which leads to the the musical number "Cool, Cool, Conservative Men." Yes. Now this. Do you know the story behind this? Yes. Behind this number. Do you want okay. to tell it, or do you want me to tell it? Well, go ahead. I'll I'll chime in. Well, um, when this uh, movie originally came out, this song was not in it. That's right. Because Peter Hunt and the writer Peter Stone said in the DVD commentary that. The president of the United States at the time, Richard Nixon, was given a private screening of the movie before its release in 1972 by his friend, producer Jack, Jack Warner. Warner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, claim, the claim further goes on that the song Cool, Cool, Considerate Men offended Nixon. He thought audiences would take it as a criticism of his presidency, even though the film was set two centuries earlier. So Warner mm-hmm. removed it at Nixon's request. However... Documents from the Nixon Library, which lists all the movies viewed at the White House at the time, shows that 1776 was never previewed there. However, 
The documents do show that Nixon family was given a performance of the stage play in yeah. February of 1970. And this may have right. been the cause of confusion about a private screening because the song is in there, so he would have heard it. Interesting, yeah, because they definitely, after the effort won the Tony for Best Musical, they did a, they did absolutely do a performance at the White House. And William Sapphire wanted a couple songs cut before that performance, including Cool, Cool, Considerate Men. But they did it anyway. And Nixon evidently loved it at that time. And then, yes, when it was, uh, uh, when it was becoming a, a film, Someone must have gotten a Nixon. If, if they didn't actually do a screening, that's interesting at the White House. Someone must have gotten a Nixon because Nixon's, you know, call up his old friend Jack Warner. And, yeah, could you do me a favor, Jack? And Jack said, anything for you, Mr. President? Yeah. And can you cut that number? Which he did. And then he, Jack Warner then said he destroyed all of the prints of that number so that he couldn't be second-guessed, which he had done before, I believe, in a in a production of uh, My Fair Lady or Camelot. He had destroyed another number. He didn't want to be proven wrong. He didn't want that number found and for himself to look bad for striking it. So, he, so um, I got a Jack Warner story for you. Do you want All right. To know? Let's hear it. Okay. I have to give due credit to this. This is from Deadline's Strike Talk podcast by Billy Ray and Todd Gardner. If anybody's interested in listening to the Why the Writers Guild and likely these tag after will be on strike against uh, the AMPTP. You, can, you should listen to that podcast. But the story of Jack Warner is, uh, is this. In 1942, shortly after Pearl Harbor, um, there's a lot of fear that California, specifically Los Angeles, would be uh, the next bombing target of the Japanese. And things were going great for Warner Brothers. He had Porky Pig going. You know, Warner Brothers Studios was was doing was doing real well. And very close to where Warner Brothers, the Warner Brothers lot, there was a Lockheed plant. And the Lockheed plant would have been the target for the Japanese, as it was building fighters and bombers for the war effort. And someone informed uh, Jack that from the sky, the roof of the Lockheed plant looked very similar to the sound stages on the Warner lot. And so the, as the story goes, so Warner had painters go up on the roof of the sounds of the sound stages and point a 20 foot arrow in the direction of Lockheed <laughs> with the, with the words under it, Lockheed that away. <laughs> this is evidently a true story. So uh, the War Department eventually made him repaint his roof, but uh, that's what happened. So as so J Jack on his deathbed, evidently not a maybe the most popular man, was asked by his what's described as his only living friend at that moment if he had any regrets, and he said something like, "Nah, although I I wish I didn't listen to that idiot Nixon." And that was thought to mean about cutting cool, cool, conservative men from the film. Peter Hunt, the director, searched the archives. They found, he, as he suspected, not all of the copies were destroyed. Yep. And he was able to resurrect that cool, cool, conservative, conservative men and is inserted now into um, the version of the movie that you will see today. So that story brings to mind two things. Number one... Um... Billy Ray is on the most recent uh, 
Pressbox podcast with um, Brian Curtis because it's the 20th anniversary of the movie Shattered Glass. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, which is a really good movie. And uh, if you ever, ever want to see Hayden Christensen actually um, be a good actor, yeah. if you don't get it in any of the Star Wars stuff. Star Wars stuff, yeah. Um, she's very good in Shattered Glass. Um, and Billy even has a, a, in the podcast talks about, he asked him, because he's like, you know, he, he's working with Hayden. He's like, you know, Hayden's a good actor. And he's kind of like, he goes up to him and he's like, so what, what goes on at, with Star Wars? Yeah. And he's like, he's like honestly, he said, I think we've had to re, or we we've had to reloop dialogue because you could hear George rustling his newspaper while we we're trying to act, <laughs> not getting a lot of direction from. Even Carrie Fisher always said that George only knew um, his only direction was faster and more energy. <laughs> Great. That was all he could ever. That's the only input he could ever have. Oh, awesome. Uh, but anyway, so there's that, and then that story though reminds me of. Um, a Glenn Beckert story about Ron Sano. Okay. Ron said something. I should go back and look at what he actually said. Uh, that offended uh, the people of Montreal, <laughs> and he got. They were going to Montreal to play the Expos, and uh, Ron got death threats. And Beckert, I'm sure it was just bullshit. It was just a funny joke to tell at the Cub Convention. He said that you know he was his roommate. And so he hung a sheet in the window with an arrow and said, Ron Santos bet. <laughs> wanted to make sure they didn't accidentally shoot him. Oh, that's great. I sing Hosanna, Hosanna, in a safe and lucid manner. We are cool! So in the scene before, or there's dialogue that kind of goes around cool, cool, conservative men. And one, uh, one quote, which is from Dickinson, which you talk about things that are still, still true. He says, most men with nothing would rather protect the possibility of becoming rich instead of accepting the reality of being poor. You know, it's all those people who vote for one party that have do nothing to look out for their best interests. Rings true. And then after after they sing and head down the, they all get in their little, you know, wagon or whatever they are, their carriages yeah, and head fancy off. Fancy things, yeah. McNair looks at the um, at the courier and goes, "How would you like to try a, try to borrow a dollar from one of them?" That's a great line. McNair's a riot. Uh, so they go back in, and now it's just uh, McNair and the courier, and then some other like, you know, in, an unpaid intern. Um, but he asks the courier if he's seen any fighting, and the the courier says, just tells the story. He's got this weird grin on his face. Yeah. Um, that his two best friends were shot and killed at Lexington and Concord, and that leads to the depressing song "Mama Looks Sharp." Yeah, very depressing song. Yes. Mama, hey mama, look sharp. Here I be. So now we go back and the declaration is done 
and Thompson is reading it into the record. Looks and, like Jefferson's getting laid. And uh, Adams and Franklin have returned with good news. Um, they took when they took Chase uh, off to uh, check on the troops. They uh, he was he was fascinated by the uh, shooting prowess of a of a militia. Uh, who hadn't eaten in weeks <laughs> all of a sudden saw a bunch of ducks and they were, he thinks everybody there is a crack shot so now he's at the Maryland Assembly convincing them to vote for independence uh, so now there's optimism and that leads to the song The Egg where, um, and one of, the, some of, one of the dialogue is there uh, or in the song what sort of bird shall we choose as a symbol of our new country and Adams wants the eagle. Jefferson wants the dove. And Franklin wants the turkey. <laughs> it's a uniquely American bird that's full of courage. The turkey. So the song ends, they go back in, the declaration has been read, and now they ask if anybody has any changes. And everybody has lots of changes. But the oh, first yeah. one is, as McKean goes, <laughs> uh, it's a Bonnie document you got there. But he asked for them to, to, to cut out a thing about Scottish mercenaries, who he claims were yeah. more likely Germans in disguise. Uh, Witherspoon wants uh, mention of the divine being. And a bunch of people are, are throwing out changes, and Jefferson's like, fine. Whatever. Just, just keeps telling, do whatever, I don't care. Yeah. Finally, Adams yells, This is a revolution, damn it! We're going to have to offend somebody! <laughs> Dickinson wants to know. He asked Jefferson why he refers to King George as a tyrant. He's like, because he is a tyrant. He says, I remind you that tyrant is still your king. Because when a king becomes a tyrant, he thereby breaks the contract binding his subjects to him. He's like, well, how so? By taking away their rights. Rights that came from him in the first place? All except one. The right to be free comes from nature. He goes, and are we not free, Mr. Jefferson? Homes entered without warrant, citizens arrested without charge, and in many cases, freedom of assembly denied. Because no one approves of such things, but these are dangerous times. And Franklin says, Be careful, Mr. Dickinson. Those who give up some of their liberty in order to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. One of his more famous quotes. So then Adams asks Judge Wilson, Mr. Wilson, oh no, Dickinson asks him, Mr. Wilson, do we consider King George a tyrant? And Wilson's like, well, uh, no, we don't consider him a tyrant in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Odd, that, by the way, that this is all taking place in Philadelphia, and the Pennsylvania delegation is anti-revolution. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jefferson pushes back on removing the references of, of tyrant. The king is a tyrant, whether we say so or not. We might as well say so. But I already scratched it out. Then scratch it back in. Put it back, Mr. Thompson. The king will remain a tyrant. And Adams defends the document as, quote, a masterful expression of the American mind. Yeah. And Rutledge stands up and he wants them to read back a portion of the declaration dealing with slavery, which he refers to as our peculiar institution. And he argues that slaves are not people but property, and certainly not Americans. Jefferson says they are people and they are here. And he says he's already resolved to release his slaves. 
During the debate on the slavery clause, the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson tells John Dickinson he has already resolved to free his own slaves. In fact, Thomas Jefferson only freed two slaves during his lifetime and five slaves in his will. Most of the 200 remaining slaves were sold upon his death. Nope. Yee. That's when Rutledge gets up and gets his big musical number. Yes. Molasses to rum to slaves. Which he sings very brilliantly. Yeah, it's a great. It's like a, if, you're, if you're wondering why did they cast, cast this eighty-year-old guy to play the youngest <laughs> man in Congress? Oh, it's because he he could do this number really well. Molasses to rum to slaves. Tis not models, tis money that saves. Shall we dance to the sound of the profitable pound in molasses and rum and slaves? Who sail the ships out of Guinea laden with idols and slaves? Tis Boston can boast to the West Indies coast. Jamaica, we brung what she craves. Antigua, Barbados, we brung Bibles and slaves. End of the song, the South all leave. They're out. Chase comes running in as they're leaving, and he's got a signed document from the Maryland Assembly to vote for independence. Chase, not able to read the room at all, doesn't notice that half of it's gone. No. But he's still giddy with excitement. But Dickinson is walking out, and he's very excited. I, I thought... You'll have to forgive them, Mr. Chase. They've just suffered a slight setback. And after all, what is a man profited if he shall gain Maryland and lose the entire South? Adams tells McCain to go get Rodney. McCain says, it's 80 miles and he's a dying man. And Adams says, no, he's a patriot. And he's got a good. And he's got a good eight years left, yeah. at least. So everybody but but Adams is consigned to defeat. Franklin tells Adams, "We have no choice, John. The slavery portion has to go. Yeah. It's a luxury we can't afford." A luxury. A half million souls in chains, and Doctor Franklin calls it a luxury. Maybe you should have walked out with the South. You forget yourself, sir. I founded the first anti-slavery society on this continent. Oh, don't wave your credentials at me. Perhaps it's time you had them renewed. The issue here is independence. Perhaps you've forgotten that fact, but I have not. How dare you jeopardize our cause when we've come so far? These men, no matter how much we may disagree with them, are not ribbon clerks to be ordered about. They're proud, accomplished men, the cream of their colonies. And whether you like it or not, they and the people they represent will be part of this new nation you'd hope to create. Now either learn how to live with them, or pack up and go home. In any case, stop acting like a Boston fishwife. Uh, yeah, Boston fishwife. Don't know what a Boston fishwife is, but apparently not good. Evidently not a good thing. So anyway, so Adams goes back up to the bell tower, uses the forest to talk to Abigail. Smear the Vaseline on the lens again. Right. And and an interesting thing, Hayden Christensen comes up. Yeah, that's right. And Yoda. You see Yoda over there, too. Right. Like, what the hell happened? Um, 
Adam is going on and complaining about his inadequacies and how he's failed and blah, blah, blah. And she says to him, do you think so little of yourself and so little of me that you think I would marry a man like that? Like, would I marry a loser like you if you were that much of a loser? So his imaginary force call gets interrupted when McNair comes up and tells him he has a delivery. And he goes down all the steps and he looks. And what is laying there? Oh. Barrels full of salt, Peter. Yes. Old Abby came through. What are in these pegs, madam? Salt, Peter! John! So he tells McNair to buy every pin in Philadelphia. It's like, Jesus, you you could have gone on this weeks ago. Just now you're finally going to get around to the pins? McNair's like, what kind of pants? Like, so he, I don't know. he comes up with a plan for Jefferson and Franklin to get to work. He sends Jefferson to talk to Rutledge and Franklin to talk to Wilson. And, I, and he talks to Hancock. I'm still from Massachusetts, John. You know where I stand. I'll do whatever you say. No. No, you're the president of Congress. You're a fair man, Hancock. Stay that way. You're a fair man, Hancock. So Adams asks Thompson if he stands with Dickinson or him. And he goes, I stand with the general. Lately, I have the oddest feeling that he's been writing to me. And then there's the song, Is Anybody There? Which is a good song. Yeah. They want me to quit. They say, John, give up the fight. Still to England, I say, good night forever, good night. For I have crossed the Rubicon. Let the bridge be burned behind me. Come what may, come what may. Commitment! So it's late. Adam's the only one there. Dr. Hall wanders in, says he can't sleep. He's trying to resolve a dilemma. I'm sorry if I startled you. I couldn't sleep. And in trying to resolve my uh, dilemma, I remembered something I'd once read. That a representative owes the people not only his industry, but his judgment. And he betrays them if he sacrifices it to their opinion. That was written by Edmund Burke, a member of the British Parliament. Then he walks up to the board, and he dramatically changes George's vote from nay to yay. And they're still going to lose. <laughs> uh, so the next morning is July 2nd, Hancock calls the vote. McKean and Rodney come in, it's just covered with mud and horseshit. Yeah, and it's just... 80 miles of dull herb on them. says, the secretary will call the roll, and I remind you that a single nay vote will fail the resolution. New York abstains courteously. Courteously. They go to Pennsylvania, and Dickens is all ready to shoot it down. Franklin and Wilson are talking, and Franklin passes. So he's got to come back to us. And with with Caesar and McKean back, Caesar gets up. Delaware! Just a moment. Delaware, by majority vote... I... Says Jay. He's barely shaking as he stands. Yeah. I mean, this is a man with only eight more years to live. <laughs> 20, 2,500 days left. His heroism. Spending these last few precious hours in Congress. 
North Carolina yields to South Carolina. As Rutledge tells Adams he, he will sink it unless they remove the offending passage from the resolution. Did that, we would be guilty of what we ourselves are rebelling against. Nevertheless, remove it, or South Carolina will bury now and forever your dream of independence. Sean? I beg you, consider what you're doing. Mark me, Franklin. If we give in on this issue, posterity will never forgive us. That's probably true, but we won't hear a thing. We'll be long gone. Besides, what will posterity think we were? Demigods? We're men, no more, no less, trying to get a nation started against greater odds than a more generous God would have allowed. First things first, John. Independence, America. If we don't secure that, what difference will the rest make? Looks at Adams looks at Thomas and goes, Jefferson, say something. What else is there to do? Well, man, you're the one that wrote it. I wrote all of it, Mr. Adams. Jefferson goes up to the desk, takes the little feather, and scratches out the part about slavery. And Adams takes the document and shoves it in Rutledge's face and yep. says, you have your slavery, what good it may do you. South Carolina says yay, and then North Carolina says yay. Right. So it goes back to Pennsylvania, and Dickinson is is the one doing all the talking. Bill Hartman. Mr. President, Pennsylvania regrets all of the inconvenience that such distinguished men as Adams, Franklin, and Jefferson were put to just now. They might have kept their document intact for all the difference it will make. Mr. President, Pennsylvania says... Just a moment. Just a Franklin minute. says, just a minute. I'd like to poll the delegation. I ask the delegation be polled. Oh, Dr. Franklin, don't be absurd. A poll, Mr. President. It's a proper request. Yes, it is. Poll the delegation, Mr. Thompson. Uh, Dr. Benjamin Franklin. Yay. Uh, Mr. John Dickinson. Nay. Mr. James Wilson. George Wilson. There it is, Mr. Wilson. It's all up to you now. The whole question of American independence rests squarely on your shoulders. An entirely new nation, ready to be born or to die at birth, all on your say-so. Which will it be, Mr. Wilson? Every map maker in the world is waiting for your decision. Oh, come now, James. Nothing has changed. Oh, we mustn't let Dr. Franklin create one of his confusions. The question is clear. And then Judge Wilson just kind of sits there, like David Ross <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with the bullpen. <laughs> Dickens is like, come now, James. Nothing has changed. We mustn't let Dr. Franklin create one of his confusions. <laughs> Most questions are clear when someone else has to decide them. It would be a pity for a man who's handed down hundreds of wise decisions from the bench to be remembered only for the one unwise decision he made in Congress. James, you're keeping everybody waiting. James? It's very Judge Smales. Yeah. James, you're keeping every... Well, we're waiting. 
Let's <laughs> build up on these shoes, James. <laughs> Gambling is illegal in Congress. Besides, I never slice. The secretary has called for your vote. I've sent men younger than you to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them. <laughs> the secretary has called for your vote. Please. Don't push me, John. I know what you want me to do. But Mr. Adams is correct about one thing. I'm the one who'll be remembered for it. At least if they ever write a musical and they fictionalize yeah, the way we all vote at the end. Um, <laughs> right, because this, this lovely story we were talking about never <laughs> happened, but it works great in the, in, the, in the play. What do you mean? I'm different from you, John. I'm different from most of the men here. I don't want to be remembered. I just don't want the... responsibility. Yes, well, whether you want it or not, James, there's no way of avoiding it. Not necessarily, John. If I go with them, I'll just be one among dozens. No one will ever remember the name of James Wilson. But if I vote with you, I'll be the man who prevented American independence. I'm sorry, John. I just didn't bargain for that. And is that how new nations are formed? By a non-entity trying to preserve the anonymity he so richly deserves. Revolutions come into this world like bastard children, Mr. Dickinson. Half improvised and half compromised. Our side has provided the compromise. Now Judge Wilson is supplying the rest. James. I'm sorry, John. My vote is yay. Mr. Secretary, Pennsylvania says yay. James, Lord wants to see you now. I like the way Thompson says this. The count, being 12 to none, with one abstention, the resolution on independence is adopted. The resolution on independence is adopted? Adopted. Adams, it's done. It's done. Yeah. It's done. It's done. So Hancock asks for the declaration to be prepared to be signed, and he rules that for their mutual protection, no man allowed be allowed to remain in Congress without attaching his name to it. And Dickinson. I'm sorry, Mr. President. I cannot, in good conscience, sign such a document. I will never stop hoping for our eventual reconciliation with England. But because, in my own way, I regard America no less than does Mr. Adams, I will join the army and fight in her defense even though I believe that fight to be hopeless. Goodbye, gentlemen. And on his way out... I love this, yeah. 
Gentlemen of the Congress, I say ye, John Dickinson. And then they all hit their hockey sticks on the ice. Yeah. I say ye. To recognize it. Nice moment. And Dickinson serves as a brigadier general, and I believe is only one of, ironically, only one of two members of the Congress to actually fight. And he was vehemently opposed to it, so. For you, John. Uh, so now it's July 3rd. Hancock asks if anyone has any objection to signing the declaration as written. I have one. Adams and Jefferson, are you over the word inalienable or unalienable? Adams, I'm a Harvard graduate. Ooh. And Jefferson says, I happen to have graduated from William and Mary. No! He goes, so they have to they keep arguing. Hancock finally goes, uh, or he says to Jefferson, will you cede to Mr. Adams' objection? Jefferson says, I will not. And Adams like, it's fine. I'll speak to the printer about it later. <laughs> and in the document, it says unalienable. So maybe right. he actually did go talk to the printer. That's one of the things that, that actually they, they talked about in writing that was um, printers did you know the the printer would have been supervised by a member of this of the committee, and it's so they kind of surmise it could be very likely that John Adams had this dialogue. They don't know if this dialogue actually took place, but it might make sense that that John wanted to change it, had this dialogue, was rebuffed, and then and then just told the printer to do it. So they hand Hancock the the final draft so that it could start to be signed. Very well, gentlemen. We are about to brave the storm in a skiff made of paper. And how it shall end, God only knows. And he signs it, just the way they signed it on the John it. on the Hancock building. Right. That's a pretty large signature, Johnny. So Fat George in London can read it without his glasses. <laughs> All right, step right up, gentlemen. Don't miss your chance to commit treason. <laughs> I got this right. This paper is our passport to the gallows. But there's no backing out now. For if we do not hang together, we shall most assuredly hang separately. <laughs> the best thing is he's laughing, and you could see Wilson sitting next to him, and he's terrified. <laughs> he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, fuck. And so they're just milling around, talking, nobody's doing anything, and Hancock yells. Gentlemen, forgive me if I don't join in the merriment, but if we are arrested now... My name is still the only one on the damn. And we get one last dispatch from G. Washington. From the commander, Army of the United Colonies in Army of the United States in New York. Dispatch number 1,209 to the Honorable Congress, John Hancock, President. Dear Sir, I can now report with some certainty that the eve of battle is near at hand. Toward this end, I have ordered the evacuation of Manhattan and directed our defenses to take up stronger positions on the Brooklyn Heights. At the present time, my forces consist entirely of Hazlitt's Delaware Militia and Smallwood's Marylanders, a total of 5,000 troops to stand against 25,000 of the enemy. And I begin to notice that many of us are lads under 15 
and old men, none of whom could truly be called soldiers. One personal note to Mr. Lewis Morris of New York. I must regretfully report that his estates have been totally destroyed, but that I have taken the liberty of transporting Mrs. Morris and eight of the children to Connecticut in safety. The four older boys are now enlisted in the Continental Army. As I write these words, the enemy is plainly in sight beyond the river. How it will end, only Providence can direct. But dear God, what brave men I shall lose before this business ends. Your obedient, G. Washington. Yeah, and they always say, there's always the drum roll, yours obedient. Uh, McNair goes up and he changes his calendar to July 4th. Hancock sends him up to go ring the bell. <laughs> and Lewis Morris rises and says, Mr. President, Mr. Morris, to hell with New York. I'll sign it anyway. Thank you, Mr. Morris. I didn't write down, but there's, he has a great, they ask him what the hell goes on in the New York legislature. Yes. He's like, I don't know if you've ever been to a session of the New York legislature, but everyone talks very loud and no one listens to anyone else and then nothing gets done. Which would have been, again, very funny to a Broadway audience in 1969, 1971. So uh, Hopkins is standing right next to the desk and Hancock is like, back off, Steve, what the fuck? Yeah. Pardon. And he goes, I want to remember each man's face as he signs. And then uh -huh. we get the dramatic... You know the the music, and you see everyone come up one at a time, and they they start after they sign, they take their position, so that they're yeah. basically where in the famous painting they're all standing. And it says the final shot required the camera to pull back to show the entire congressional chamber. However, there wasn't enough room on set for the camera truck to pull back, since the sound stages being used were slated to be demolished after production, and this was the final shot. A large hole was made in the wall with the camera truck protruding outdoors after pulling all the way back. As it turned out, the sound stages were never demolished and the wall was rebuilt. Huh. Um, That's cool. The original yeah. Broadway production opened at the 46th Street Theater on March 16, 1969 and ran for 1,217 performances. It won Tony Awards for Best Musical, Best Featured Actor, William Henry Lee, Ron Holgate, right. Best Director, <laughs> Peter Hunt, and was nominated for Best Featured Actress in a Musical, uh, Virginia Vesthoff. She was Abigail. Abigail. Yes. And Best Scenic Design. William Daniels was nominated for his role as John Adams, and Best Featured Actor was declined because he felt Adams was a leading role. So leading, featured, and then supporting, I guess. You're correct about that, yeah. Um, William Daniels, Howard DeSilva, Ken Howard, Roy Poole, Virginia Vesthoff, David Forn, Ron Holgate, William Duell, Ralston Hill, Jonathan Moore, and Charles Rule recreated their roles in the movie. Oh, there's a. I, oh, William Daniels' wife, Bonnie Bartlett, is a distant relative of Josiah Bartlett, a member of the Continental Congress for New Hampshire. Mm. Um, when John uh, Hancock. And, and, the ancestor, ancestor to Jed. Yeah, yes. When John Hancock calls Congress to order and Charles Thompson reads the role, he mentions that, among others, John Adams' cousin, Sam, is absent. Uh, but the John Adams in the play is at times a composite of both John and Sam. 
So Sam is, in, in a way, present. William Daniels played John Adams. He played John Quincy Adams. He played Sam Adams. And in the, in the TV show Boy Meets World, he played Mr. George Feeney, who was principal of John Adams High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The man owes his career to the Adams family. Blythe Danner played Martha Jefferson, the wife of Thomas Jefferson. In the movie in, Jeffers, in the movie Jefferson in Paris in 1995, her real-life daughter, Gwyneth Paltrow, played Patsy Jefferson, the daughter of Thomas Jefferson. Um, Danner reprised her role as Martha in the documentary Thomas Jefferson in 1997, and Gwyneth played her role opposite Nick Nolte, who, who was being Thomas Jefferson. Nolte and Danner played husband and wife in The Prince of Tides in 1991. All these connections, yes. yes. Howard De Silva, and if you're going to mention this, was he was he was one of the actors who was blacklisted, and I, somewhat ironically, I guess two years later, he would play Nikita Khrushchev <laughs> in the 1974 movie *The Missiles of October*. Uh, a departure from history is that the separation of Great Britain was accomplished in two steps. The actual vote for independence came on July 2nd with the approval of Lee's Resolution of Independence. The wording of the Declaration of Independence, the statement to the world as to the reasons necessitating the split, was then debated for three days before being approved on July 4th. The vote for independence did not hinge on passages being removed from the Declaration, since Congress had already voted in favor of independence. For the sake of drama, the play's authors combined the two events. In addition, some historians believe the Declaration was not signed on July 4th, but was instead signed, signed on August 2nd, 1776. Others note, the final copy of the document was signed by the delegates over several weeks and months, commencing in July and not completed until as late as September. To make for a super boring musical. It would be a lot of changing of the calendar. James Wilson is, is portrayed as, a, as subordinating himself to Dickinson's opposition to independence, only changing his vote so that he would not be remembered unfavorably. In fact... Wilson was considered one of the leading thinkers behind the American cause, consistently supporting and arguing for independence, although he would not cast his vote until his district had been caucused. Okay, much like the Georgia delegate. Did Roger Ebert give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to 1776? Well, I mean, it was it was it was panned. I mean, it, I shouldn't say that. It was a it was a box office bomb. But Roger was pretty pretty smart, so. I'll say he gave it a thumbs up. Well, he gave it two stars. Ooh. And declared, This is an insult to the real men who are Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, and the rest. The performances trapped inside these roles, as you might expect, are fairly dreadful. There are good actors in the movie, especially William Daniels as Adams and Dino Madden as, as John Dickinson, but they're forced to strut and posture so much that you wonder if they ever scratched or spit or anything. I can hardly bear to remember the songs, much less discuss them. Perhaps I shouldn't. It's just too damn bad this movie didn't take advantage of its right... To the pursuit of happiness. Oh wow! Well, it was eloquent in his in his blasting of it. But uh, one, one little irony about one thing to point out about um, we're talking about Jack Warner. Um, Jack Warner was a founder, a founding father, if you will, of the AMPTP, which is the American Motion Picture and Television Producers. That is the organization that is early in negotiations with SAG-AFTRA. That's the organization that the WJ is striking against. But currently negotiating with SAG-AFTRA, the first sole president 
of SAG AFTRA, because remember the two unions merged many years ago. There used to be SAG and AFTRA separate. After they merged, it became SAG AFTRA. The first president of SAG AFTRA was Ken Howard. Who would Trey Wilson have played in this movie? There's a question. <laughs> so I got. To, I, I have two. It's the tie between two guys, and you could probably guess who they are. But I would say uh, John Hancock and Stephen Hopkins. I think he'd be great. Yeah, I, that. I had him. I think he'd be a great Hancock because he has yeah. to be like exasperated a bunch at the yeah. people, and nobody did that better. And Hancock could be the the the, the bigger role, better role. Um, who would you play? How fun! Because I would either, I would probably you know what if he I'd play the other one. So I'd, I'd age myself up and play Stephen Hopkins of Rhode Island. How about yourself? I'd play John Hancock if the role wasn't taken, but since it's taken, I'll yeah, Trey. We had Trey. We cast Trey Wilson. We can't have that, it, it, right? I'd be Thompson. I'd play. Oh, that's a good call. That's yeah. A good call. I'd, yeah, I'd constantly get annoyed by being interrupted. I'm trying to read the damn. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, it does have a Rotten Tomato score, seventy four. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, it was not a um, was not was not a box office uh, winner. It did it make it, it made its Oscar money back. Nominations. Got two Oscar nominations. It lost for minor category, relatively minor category. Lost them both. Um, but there you go. So that was oh, the deep. 1972 musical, 1776. I'm sure people were running of... out. <laughs> I was able to stream it for free uh, through Comcast. So I did. And I got it free through Fubo. So there you go. So that's good. Yeah. And honor to see, lest anyone accuse us of not being patriotic, we are doing this in honor of Fourth of July. Coming up here, good, a good movie to watch over that weekend. Even though I kept waiting for the aliens to show up and for Bill Pullman to be president, uh, didn't right. happen. Will Smith to come down and slap John Adams or something. All right, there it is. Well, thanks, Mike. Well, thank you. Many of us have herpes. 